Shut up and sit down. everyone. Um, Julie and I decided since we didn't actually do a serious plotting that we would do a part two um, of John Shepard Travels Back in Time. For those of you who have not watched, not <laughs> not listened to the first one, all we basically did was discuss various reasons why John would go back in time and um, several methods by which he could do it. You know, alien technology and all that stuff. Um, so, um, there's Jilly. Uh, I was looking at the, the the switchboard for the dash the thing the thing the thing. Um, I usually can log it. I can call into the the thing about ten minutes in, and about three minutes ago, I was thinking to myself, you know, I haven't heard that lady talking, and then I realized I hadn't actually called in. <laughs> And that's why she wasn't saying five minutes. Your she's show remarkably is quiet. Because she's a chatty bitch. Anyway. <clears throat> okay. I dropped. You dropped what? You guys, oh, I was the chat room. I thought they were talking about me. I was like, I, I, I'm still here. <laughs> I think. Indeed. I watched Indeed, World you Fallen are. Kingdom. Um, you did what? You did what? I watched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I've also seen Deadpool 2. I liked them both. I think Deadpool 2 could actually be better than Deadpool 1. It's certainly funnier. I mean, Deadpool 1 does not short, short on comedy. But Deadpool 2 made me, made me laugh out loud at <laughs> several points. I, like, I, I almost peed my chair. It was terrible. I was like, um, I'm too old to sit through a two-hour movie with, you know, <laughs> not wind up with a full bladder by the end. So, Domino could be my favorite superhero Ever. Ever, ever, ever. She's yeah, bad, 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 bad. Her hair's great. She's just fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. Anyways, and his use of the time, tra- the time travel option was very good and probably the funniest part of the whole movie. Yeah, that, that was one. good. That, weird. that one. Huh? I'm just getting all this weird feedback. I'm going to call right back in, okay? Okay. Uh, I guess, Ellie, I guess you can you can leave the corner. I mean, you know, I'm iffy on it. 
so you're on probation, but you, but you can come out of the corner. Um, but uh, so last night we were talking about the various ways that uh, John could travel uh, back in time and um, and why he would do it. And um, for me, honestly, the only reason that John would travel back in time would be to save Rodney. And that's just because it's my OTP, and that's what makes sense to me. <laughs> well, but I could see him, whereas I could see him traveling back to save his family or to save the world, which would incidentally save Rodney as well. Um <laughs> I have another time travel fic called One More Day, and it's on my EAD, um, where a version of John does come back in time with this specific reason to save McKay, who was murdered in his timeline. And I've never finished it because the other version of John is dying, and I don't want to write that part. <laughs> it was fine it's when I plotted to- it. It's hard to have a dying unicorn. Nobody wants to deal with one of those. It's terrible. Why can't why can't I think eventually I think I might eventually have to just have him ascend or something because if I ever want to finish it, I'm, I'm going to have to do something different than what I, I had plotted because I can't kill him. I just I, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't kill my unicorn. Not permanently, anyway. And even though there is another version of John in that story, the other John would still be dead. <laughs> I'm just saying. <sighs> Splinter Universe is their hell. Anyways, anyways, um, uh, you want to go first? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know why. No. I, just, I am so, I am so frazzled today. I feel like my brain is just like leaked right out of my ears. In other news that I can't discuss, I finished the prologue for my Quantum Bang. Very nice. I don't often write a prologue. I mean, it has to be. Has to be. It has to be significant for me to write a to, to, to write a prologue, and because um, it just isn't my favorite thing to do. I also don't enjoy writing epilogues as a rule. Um, and I don't like flashbacks. And so if I I had a choice between doing a flashback and doing a prologue, and I chose to do a prologue. <laughs> when the pro- the prologue was your lesser of three evils or two evils. Yeah. And it, you know, I mean, I've discussed your plot with you. I thought I thought, I thought it was pretty needed. So I, I completely agree with you. That you, you needed something. Yeah, my plot document. It's big. My plot document is 7,000 words. Yeah. 7,144 words, <laughs> to be specific. <laughs> and it's 18 pages. <laughs> and I have, um, it has, hold on, I'll tell you how many plot points I've got. I've got, well, I can't really tell you because I have 
um, an outline form. So I have plot points, and then some plot points have multiple plot points underneath them. But I would say I probably have 100 plot points um, total in that range. And I just, my prologue covered six out of 100. So, anyways. It's different than I normally write, and I'm really excited, and we can't talk about it anymore because I will say something I'm not supposed to say. (laughs) And I am not plotting another one. Penises moving on their own have invaded the chat room again. <laughs> John Shepard travels back in time. Okay, so I'm going to go with that device that I um, note to self device um, where Rodney and John are in a lab and, and John's getting on Rodney's nerves a little bit. So he tosses the device at him and says, See what this does. And so John turns it on, but it doesn't seem to do anything. Um, and then he said, it's probably just some kind of memo cube or something and, and tries to give it back. And McKay laughs and says, well, just send yourself a note then. And so John does, but it, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. So he puts it aside and doesn't worry about it. Three weeks later, John is on a mission. Oh God, this is going to hurt. John's on a mission and um, he, he shot and killed. And he wakes up in the chair in Antarctica. And all the memories of the expedition just kind of pop right into his head as he's sitting there. Hmm. That's an interesting reset point. When you don't have control of the reset point, that um, but I pick it because that's the first time he encounters ancient technology. Yeah, that makes so sense. So there he is. So there he is in the chair, and he, now he has a full basic download of his life and how it's going to be for the next five years. And now he has to decide if he actually wants to go to Pegasus and go through all that shit again. <laughs> it's going to require more than a coin toss. <laughs> no kidding. That reboot point, he still has his black mark, so he's going to have to um, uh, do a couple of things. One is get Marshall Sumner on his side and decide whether I mean obviously he's going to try to keep them from getting cold and um, turning on Taylor's necklace and um, yeah because that's not distracting at all um, <clears throat> would he, my would he try to do any, would he try to do anything before before they left I mean I think he would try to make su- support uh, the ancient chair. Uh, yeah, cause, well, actually, the first time he sits in the chair is when the it's right after he has that almost death experience with O'Neill in the helicopter. It's pilot episode, right? 
Well, of course he's going to go, but he has to make some bigger decisions now about what he takes and, you know, just seriously, that's like super distracting. I'm going to have to close. I'm going to have to move the chat room. I can't, I can't watch that. Okay. Um, it, uh, He would have to, um, I mean, because I think that he'd probably want to maneuver himself into a position where he's actually the second in command of the military and not just an add-on. So he needs to figure out a way to approach Marshall Sumner and have a very frank conversation with him and get Marshall Sumner on his side. So maybe he could sit Sumner down and have a talk about what happened in the Middle East, you know, what his black mark was and... Um, why he took that risk with his career and why he doesn't regret it um, no matter what it cost him. Yeah, and you kind of like have a character as, character as Sumner. A man-to-man moment. Right. And just say, you know, this is, you know, I, I kind of focus on John's principal quality is that he's incredibly loyal. And he'll go to the wall every time. And he does repeatedly go to the wall every time. Then I think maybe he might want to try to encourage Sumner to have a really good look expedition charter and what it means when they encounter a hostile situation. A really good look. And then maybe talk about the supplies and formally ask his permission to be his second in command, to be his CO. I mean, to be his XO. Try to change that dynamic. So when John steps through the gate, he's Marshall Sumner's man, not Elizabeth Weir's. I like the idea of, but I think one of the things that I find interesting about the idea is that he, it's kind of accidental time travel, which I don't, mm-hmm. time travel is going to be delivered on somebody's part, right? Does he know yeah, right normally. away that it's, uh, does he know right away that it's um, Susie Wetsitz? Does he know right away does that Does he know that um, those memories are real? No, does he know right away what the mechanism for his time travel is? No, but I think that eventually he'll come across that device in the future and they'll have a similar conversation and he'll say, here, send yourself a note and he'll get it. Ah, And he'll definitely pick it up and send himself another note just in case. And maybe even suggest Rodney do it too. So here, why don't you send yourself a note and see if it works? Kind of as a backup. Mhm. Maybe that by that point they'll be in a, a relationship, and he'll like say, "Well, let's let's do that together." But I do want I would I would want to have a better relationship with 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 Sumner. 
that would be really vital, especially since he won't be the expedition lead. And Sumner will be a much more of a hard ass with Lear. Yeah. ways John never was. And if Sumner accepts John in the chain of command, it'll make it much easier for him to interact with other Marines. Mm-hmm. There won't be a struggle. But I do like that idea a lot. I like the idea of um, Sumner not being an antagonist. I'm not sure I'd paint Weir as an antagonist, but more as a an obstacle. Because that's yeah. what she becomes in canon. I like that idea. I like it a lot. I, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever read a story. It may exist. I don't think I've ever read one where John and Sumner had a really good relationship. I mean, they sort of had one, a good relationship at the beginning of... Um, not exactly, but they had a good, you know, a, a, they weren't sort of frenemies the way they were in most, in, um, <sighs> what's it called? Um, Revenant. They weren't hostile in at the beginning of Revenant, no. but of course Sumner was dying. No, and they had a, actually a, a pretty good relationship in Ties to Bind, um, and, but it's kind of, it's, it's told from the past point of view because Sumner is dead, and, um, and frankly, that, that Sumner was in love with John. So that makes a big difference. Yeah. They're kind of, they're, they're antagonistic in um, Hold My Coffee because Sumner feels like John took what he had earned. But in Iterum, they have a past friendship. that John cultivated. So. But John being second in command, he wouldn't have a whole lot of um, sway over positions, other people's positions. So I think Carson Beckett would still end up on the ticket. Um, unless he maneuvered Sumner into um, questioning Beckett's inclusion. But the other part of that is, is that John wouldn't want to do too much maneuvering because he wouldn't want Sumner to think he's being manipulated. Yeah. Are you hearing like a man's voice? No. Okay. All right. I'm not going to <laughs> I promise. I just, my guess was going to be really loud, and I can't tell if that's, you know, coming through for you guys or not, but it doesn't seem like it is. So I won't go and tell it. Turn it down. But one of the reasons why I had the podcast delayed last night is that my husband is currently binge watching the MCU and he was um, coming up on the end of Iron Man 
two. At the time, my podcast would have been starting, and he has surround sound. And my office, um, and he has like six speakers in his man cave. And my office is right above his man cave. Um, and so my lamp on my desk was rattling. Oh, dear. So there was no way I could. <laughs> I didn't want to ask him to turn it down because, you know, he was doing his thing. <laughs> so, but it ended at 1015. And then, you know, of course, Jilly was off in the wild blue yonder as well. So it kind of worked out that we had a late podcast last night. So, And that's why I didn't want to interfere with um, his, uh, his, his his MCU um, thing. I went down and watched um, part of the Incredible Hulk, and I watched the first Iron Man, and um, I watched the first Thor. But otherwise, I've just been kind of avoiding it. Yeah, well, I well because I'm we're doing two MCUs in. Um... And what's it called? In 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 July, in two days, or in a day, a day in a little bit. Um, I needed to refresh my memory about some stuff that happened, and um, I completely missed that Iron Man does a cross country flight very quickly, apparently. Which I know he moves fast, but it seemed really fast. Um, so I was googling like, how fast does the suit move? Um, and man, the answers are really different. Um, and one guy said in the same answer that it moved at 15,000 miles an hour. And then in the next answer, and in the same answer, he said something about it, it moves at Mach 2. And I was like, you know, those two things are not the same. <laughs> right. It's Is, not the same does thing. Iron Man break the sound barrier during the movie? I don't remember. Well, he would have to. I mean, he's flying, he's flying as fast as... Um, those F-15 Raptors. So, um, so and in I one case, I think he out, I, in one case, he's out flying them. So he he has to be breaking the sound barrier. It's just a question of exactly how much is he breaking it. Right. Hmm. Okay, so the sound barrier in the um in the movie, um, but I think he would tackle the supply list as Sumner's XO. I think he was that would be part of his purview. Yeah, I could see that. I could see he would definitely want to make sure they were better equipped. And would he try to subtly give some uh, some input on the charter? Like read it because he's I mean, he's got to sign it too. So would he read it and go? This seems a little bit vague. Right. Read the charter. Ask questions. And since he has that super gene, um, he might could fix it so where Sumner sees him as a point where he can use John's inclusion 
to ask for more things and get John to do it. <laughs> well, since the IOA wants you so bad, <laughs> why don't you go over there and ask for all this shit from me? Thanks. <laughs> we want you to be real comfortable, Shepard. <laughs> I, yeah, and he I, would be, I, I, I he'd be all up in that too. What would he do different? Would he do anything differently with his family about like saying goodbye or anything like that? It depends on whether or not I do canon um, relationships with his family or not. Now, it is not my inclination to follow canon relationships, so I think he probably would reach out. Um, What are the things with, with stories where you send John, not you specifically, you and the generic, not you and specific, but when John is sent back to before the expedition leaves, um, it's really easy. I mean, yes, there's a lot of things he needs to get done. Um, it can be a case of, it can be, I mean, you could have a whole story related to logistics, expedition logistics, mm-hmm. um, getting this together, fixing the charter. Um I mean, this is your plot. The, the downside, yeah, go ahead. Go into the details, is that you you miss something, and major. then it comes out later. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like, well, that was so major. Why wasn't that covered when you were packing extra sheets? Um, I mean, if you have the XO John specifically thinking about and focusing on sheets and every type of food, I mean, big macro stuff like looking at the supply list. He might work for weeks on the supply list and making sure it seems better. But when you start digging into the details of it, um, you run the risk of the reader going, hey, John didn't pack that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same as Harry going shopping, you know, thing and detailing everything he buys. Is then later he didn't buy black pants. Yeah. I don't think he bought that button down on that shopping trip. You didn't mention it. <laughs> But it, it's also not just that. It's because I mean, you 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 publish finished stories, so you would have the, you could back up and fix an oversight, and it would be a problem. It's a case of not knowing something right. that, that you know, and then you have a reader you know snotty pointing out to you. Well, really, an XO would have focused on this thing, and it's like, oh, shut up! I don't care if you're right. You still and shut up. <laughs> suck my ass. Um, That's right. I don't know, did you? They need to recruit Walter. <laughs> I think they would have a hard time getting Walter out of the mountain. Even if Walter wanted to go, they'd be like, no. Yeah, there'd be, be, yeah, be a squad of Marines and an angry general in the way going, are you crazy? You can't have our Walter. What? No. Here, have a chuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's Canadian. You'll like him. But you can't have our Walter. <laughs> but uh yeah, so you know, and, and that's um that's the accidental. 
And I, I think that when it comes to an accidental time travel, there's a little bit of floundering. You know, um, in the beginning, you know, how did I get here? What, 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 what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Is there some higher power? And then later on, he'll he'll pick up that device and he'll realize what really happened. Um, but there'll be some floundering, and that's to be that that's to be expected with an accidental time travel. And also, um, you know, there's sometimes with time travel, one of the things that can make it really realistic is to build in unintended consequences. Like you change Mm -hmm. this tragic thing, but a different tragic thing that you couldn't. There's there's a thing that's sort of like um, some weird quote about time travel. Um. It's something along the lines of the more you know, the more you can change, the more you change, the less you know. Yeah, it makes sense. There's a, um, I'm writing a time travel with where Harry travels back in time with the Lord of Magic. And um, Hermione is questioning whether or not, her, Hermione goes to, um, questioning whether or not they should change something because then they'll lose the ability to control um, the events that are coming their way. And Harry asked her how she could possibly think she could have control when when free will exists. And basically what he's saying is that just because this person did this the last time this happened doesn't mean that they'll do exactly this again. Right. any Any little ripple you make has consequences. Just traveling back in time, literally just the act of traveling back in time, changes everything. Because unless you know exactly what you said to every single person you interacted with during this time period, and you say it again exactly the same way, in exactly the same moment, Well, but even if you do, um, but they kind of explored that a little bit in Groundhog Day. Um, but I've seen other stories explored, it's fan fiction stories explored as well, where um, the first time the guy in Groundhog Day did something and it went well for him, it went well, but when he tried to recreate it, it lacked sincerity and it didn't, mm-hmm. people were suspicious. Um, and the more he tried to get it right again, that exact same way, the more suspicious people were. Just catching up on the um, chat room. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I think that when it comes to time travel fix-its, that you can be as intricate as you want. And a lot of times um, it'll take you off on a tangent if you're not careful. And you can gloss over um, paradoxes and, you know. When, when, see, time travel is probably my favorite trope. 
And so I expect the author to kind of gloss over it eventually because um, you can't really solve a paradox <laughs> if you want no. your character to win. <laughs> and you do want your character to win. Um, it, uh, it, so you, you just kind of make, um, I think the point would be in any time travel fix it is to follow logical consequences, but don't get bogged down in, in logical consequences. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, to create a paradox where John accidentally kills his own grandpa or whatever, but don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, well, when you're when you're exploring ripples, there's the, some of the big things like t- some of the things are they're kind of implicit in the tropes. Is like um, the time travel paradox is sort of a ripple, but not really. It's sort of like a fundamental flaw of the trope. And you, if you get caught up into trying to solve a time travel paradox, you you will probably like create a temporal anomaly in your own brain. I mean, just don't do it. <laughs> it's a paradox. <laughs> not really all that. It's really not all that solvable. So um, just deal with the suspension. People who have a suspension of disbelief issue around time travel paradoxes shouldn't be reading time travel stories. I mean, that's just, you know, they just need to not. <laughs> I mean, if, that's, <laughs> just not. If, they're, if they're sensitive about that, they just need to, to, need to not. Um, but, you know, when you come, when it gets to exploring ripples, um, you, you know, you got to go deal go deal with the really big ones, right? Um, and then of the little ones, you don't have to um, figure out which ones have big impact to your story because no one, no one ever sits down ever and recrafts like when they're doing like a major AU and recraft the entire history of the world and figure out, you know, which world events have occurred and which ones haven't. Because it's too interconnected. They just deal with, you know, big. the further back you go, the bigger your brushstrokes are. So don't try, don't get too wrapped up in it, but also don't ignore it. So it's kind of, that's kind of a balancing act, right? A big one. Back in time to stop John and Rodney getting together and everything she does, they get together faster. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be one frustrating time traveling bitch right there. Um, But I I do think that um, that the factor in this particular plot would be the relationship with Sumner. Um, Mm -hmm. And Creating, but see that also creates another situation because if if John and Sumner have a really strong relationship as CO and XO, um, how friendly is McKay going to be with somebody who's so entrenched in the military complex? Because John isn't particularly, even despite his rank in canon, he's not particularly entrenched. He's not rigid. He's 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 open and really you know social with the civilians. But if John toes the line for Sumner, he's going to have a very outward appearance of a very um, rigid and by the book officer. Well, he could set that up with Sumner. I mean, if John, if you if you kind of write a John who's a little bit sneaky, 
Um, if John realizes he's not got really the power to do some of the things he needs to do, he needs to kind of let people screw themselves or whatever, he could actually talk to Sumner about the fact that the civilians are not going to be super comfortable with, you know, military protocol and whatnot. So around the civilians, I'm going to kind of try to be a little bit looser, be somebody more approachable that they feel like they can go to so that you don't have to deal with that and kind of position it like I'm trying to help which gives him mm-hmm. a way to be more friendly with the civilians like Rodney and Raddick and have more familiarity there. Um, and then once they're out there, I think Sumner would eventually start loosening up himself. But the, mm-hmm. thing, the sneaky part he could do is like, let's say he doesn't want Kavanaugh on the mission. He could start, you know, he's smart enough to be able to expose scientists weaknesses. Not sabotage them. Just give them the opportunity to expose themselves. So the fact of is, is that Kavanaugh is xenophobic. That would work. Maybe provide a more... One of the problems I had with the um, original expedition was the lack that um, all those people had one psychologist. Yeah, they need to be a military psychologist on that expedition, too, because what, what yeah. military guy is going to go and talk to Kate? Not willingly. They sure as hell wouldn't discuss the things that really bother them. It takes a different mindset to, to deal with a soldier, and I don't think she had it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think she had it at all. In interim, I had John get rid of Kavanaugh because he has a gambling addiction. It amused the shit out of me. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I could definitely see him focusing intently on making sure the civilians are better prepared. And taking them off world. That could be an opportunity to expose Kavanaugh. Think Kavanaugh would willingly go off world. Beyond beyond going to Atlantis, I don't think he ever went off world. Well, and that could be a problem. Like if he says, okay, we're all going to go off world, and they all go, what? No. And they're like, are you kidding me? No. You're, you're willing to go through the gate? You, it's because you think there'd be this perfect city on the other side, but what if we find a ruin and we have to live in a cave? and trade with, you know, squid people on other planets, then what are you going to do? Actually, he could do that. He could give them all a bunch of situational questions, like a situational test. He give them all, you know, what if questions, what would you do in this situation, and like half the civilians fail it. And it's like, oh, sir, we need to do better. <laughs> if we have any problems Where would there, be we're screwed. We're so fucked up. <laughs> We're all going to die, sir, and I don't want to go out there and die. <laughs> so, I gave the civilians a test. I've got good news and bad news. Which would you like to have first? <laughs> good news is about 25% of the civilians 
don't have the survival instincts of a living. <laughs> don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, what's the bad news? They're all going to die. <laughs> They're all going <laughs> to die. None of them are going to survive in the field. Yeah. They awesome. can't handle weapons. They don't have survival gear. They don't know how to use survival gear. McKay's the only one that ever fired a gun, and he did it on a fire range, and he's never had a real target. And Zlinko was in the Army, I think, in the Czech Republic, but he doesn't know American weaponry, and we're fucked, sir. We're fucked. <laughs> well, because they also don't have enough – they didn't take enough um, – Basically, they didn't take enough soldiers with them to 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 handle uh, base security expeditions and just minding the civilians, keeping up with everybody. Yeah, if, that's if what they had, I pointed out in the interim. They, there's just not enough soldiers there. Yeah, if they had if they had a nasty alien flu, they'd be screwed. It took out 25 percent, just sick, not kill, but just sick. They would have a problem filling their duty roster. So. Um, and they don't. I mean, the, considering how badly things went over and over and over again, over again for the SGC, they launched that expedition with a fuck ton of optimism about the condition that city would be in and the circumstances they would find there. A city that hasn't been hasn't been lived in in what ten thousand years, and that was abandoned for some reason. Yeah, that's why John calls weird Pollyanna all the time in my yeah. fic because. I, I blame her. Yeah, the level of the level of optimism um, was just unbelievable. It was almost delusional. Yeah, and they didn't have. They needed a lot more practical. Well, some of the stuff, plumbers, construction workers, that kind of thing. Some of that could be accounted for. Um, they could have been filling that from the military ranks, assuming they were staffing with that in mind but they took a lot of theoretical scientists out there into a city that they didn't even know was going to turn on and and John could just be having that conversation over and over and over again. Sir, I'm just curious why we think we're going to find everything we're going to need on the city. And then he says, well, we're sure it's based on what? Because I can't find anything in any of the SGC, um, uh, you know, report after action reports that indicates they've ever found fully stocked, fully powered ancient facilities. So what is this optimism based on? Because I'd really like to know before we go out there. <laughs> I sort of promised my dad I wouldn't die. I mean, I know it was yeah. unrealistic, but I did it. Because <laughs> Sounder is such a by-the-book guy that he just might be assuming that, you know, the SGCs went along for, what was it, eight years at that point? Um, and done fine. And... You know, Elizabeth has been vetted to go on this mission, and that she and the scientists must know what they're talking about. And so he's just maybe abdicated a lot of responsibility for that side of the mission, and he's trusting them. He's like, 
I don't know why you're, I don't know where this is coming from because we have really very little um, experience with this organization. Most of the scientists that are going to have their own experience. So I don't know where this optimism these people have coming from because when I talk to the scientists on this base who actually have experience going off world, none of them feel the optimism that our team has. So where is the disconnect? And get Sumner really thinking more critically about what's going on on the civilian side of things, and I'll bet you that he would be willing to just. Sir, we don't have survival gear. The ancients put their outposts in Antarctica, and we don't have survival gear. And all they're going to know really is that the lights turn on in the place that they're going, right? When they send them out through, I mean, they know they basically get atmosphere and, and that kind of thing, right? They don't know if they're on a on an ice continent. I like that. Historically, they don't know they're underwater food. until they start exploring it hours later. Right. But he, he, seriously, sir, historically, the ancients seem to like Arctic outposts. Really frozen places. Does it seem strange that we don't have any cold weather gear? Also, we don't have any practice rounds for target yeah. practice. How do we keep our skills? Yeah, how do we keep our skills sharp? And we didn't get a single zap. How's that okay? Not one, sir. Just curious here. Historically, <laughs> you know, about in, in legend, I'm just speaking of legend, and the scientists tell me to discount that, but Atlantis was a floating city. Well, in the event that that's not a legend, it might be based on some sort of ancient oral tradition that was passed down. Are we prepared for a city on the water? Just curious. You know, should we take a canoe? <laughs> Just asking. Or just a team of seals. I mean, you know, so people can get in the water if we need to get in the water. Because I'm not ready to get in the water. Are you ready to get in the water? Because we might have to get in the water. And at some point, someone's going to be like, you know what? I'm deeply regretting my decisions about making this man my my XO. You know, the funny thing is if you did like, if you did periodic chapters from Sumner's point of view, you could see him kind of slowly evolving and then they get there and they see what a shit storm they're in and he just wants to take John aside and hug him. <laughs> it's like they kind of have job. their wind out from, their, from getting off the, it's like you totally are getting off the <laughs> major. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Major have a beer. <laughs> Actually, if I, I said, were thank you for being the squeaky wheel. I get out there and immediately give him like a battlefield promotion. Here you go. <laughs> Just because we got out here, we were on the we were on the bottom of the ocean and I'm suddenly so glad you came with us and that you were so pessimistic during all the preparations. That could be hysterical. It could be you could have a chapter of just John popping in on some nurse, any email. Sir, I was reading another report of past <laughs> expeditions where they've encountered ancient technology, and I don't see anything in the charter or in our supply list that prepare us for what they encountered in this situation. If this is typical ancient behavior. <laughs> Sir, 
yeah, he doesn't know what a heck driver looks like because the only one I know is from Aliens. Is that what it looks like? Because we probably need to send all the gene carriers a picture of the head grabber, so nobody gets their head grabbed because we're not actually taking an Asgard with us. Speaking of, could we take an Asgard with us? <laughs> Would they give us one? They seem very helpful. They have clone wise, right? They're just clones. We could ask them to clone one just for us. <laughs> I'm not picky. Sir, I saw a picture of an Asgard. Why don't they have dicks? <laughs> that could be, he could, he, I think it'd be hysterical if he developed a tick around, not the subject line. Because the subject line would probably be something about supplies. But if, <laughs> if he, if the first line was, sir, I've been reading mission reports again. And he'd just be like, oh, please stop. <laughs> Major, have you always been this diligent? It's not noted in your fitness reports. <laughs> But it will be noted in your next one. (laughs) It might be the most cracky thing I ever wrote if I wrote it. (laughs) Sir. Sir. We didn't pack condoms. There are no condoms on the spotless, sir. What if we get stuck out there for the year, year plus that we're waiting for the data list? Are we expecting people to not have sex? Is that a realistic expectation? <laughs> How are we planning to enforce that rule, sir? <laughs> I'd like to know. Sir, the only lube that's on the supply list is in the um, medical kits. <laughs> is it enough? Sir, we don't have a single drone. Not one. How come we don't have a drone? Or how, sir? We don't have a cannon. Not one. Oh, they have mouths. Sir, there's a shocking lack of rail guns in our inventory <laughs> list. There's a shocking lack of rail guns in our I'm genuinely appalled. <laughs> I know I'm a pilot, but this was the one thing I thought would be cool about hanging out with Marine. <laughs> and there's not a single one. <laughs> but what would be worse if it was actually contagious, that John's um, investigation of the circumstances was contagious, and, like, suddenly Ford is like, sir... <laughs> and so I was just going to be like, no, absolutely not, Lieutenant. <laughs> but, sir, there's no well, toilet paper on be... the list. <laughs> oh, toilet paper. What would be worse for them is if John's asking questions, because John has to be going around asking civilians various questions. Like, how do you know you're not going to get into this situation? And what have you done? What what evidence do we know that this isn't going to be an issue? And they have to give their rationale. That basically all would come simply to document that the civilian side of the expedition, that their rationale for everything they're doing is all coming down to best case scenario. And that they are mounting an expedition to another galaxy with no with possibly no way home 
based on the best case scenario. And then once he puts that idea into, say, Raddick and Rodney's head, they start digging into their assumptions and the supply list and sending emails to Sumner. <laughs> Colonel, <laughs> it's come to my attention that Dr. Weir has not prepared life sciences, botany, or biology to feed us. <laughs> we got a problem. We have one biologist, four botanists, and not a damn single one of them can has food crops on their list. We apparently need a farmer. We don't have one. <laughs> Colonel? <laughs> There's not enough coffee. <laughs> We need a biology. We need a a botanist who who um, specializes in hydroponics, <laughs> just in case we're yes. living on an ocean. <laughs> and Rodney finally sends a you know an email that says, "In the case of the expedition, I advise that we switch our scientific focus from theoretical to applied. We need to turn over seventy five percent of the scientific staff." <laughs> <laughs> I need a <laughs> I don't need any we I don't I need, need theoreticians out here, folks. I need plumbers and electricians and uh, mechanical engineers and biochemists and um agricultural specialists and fuck me geologists and probably an archaeologist too. <laughs> Sir, the civilians have not packed tampons. Now, I don't personally use tampons, but we do have several women on the city who who may need them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure they did pack tampons. But, you know, I'm just saying it, there was a there was an appalling lack of supplies. Well, he could Sir, do the math. Nobody in the medical staff knows, knows how to um, compound to create um, medications. We're just taking a bunch of pills, sir. <laughs> there are going like to expire. Good idea, sir. We don't have an OBGYN yet. That is a huge concern. Or at least someone who did an OBGYN rotation. At least. And John could just do the math in his head and realize, just looking at it and go, okay, so we're taking tampons based on the number of women who are of childbearing age in the expedition. We have enough menstrual supplies for four months. That seems, again, optimistic, sir. (laughs) I really don't think it's appropriate to ask the ladies um, on the expedition to start using grass, sir. I'm I'm declining in advance to have that conversation with anyone, sir. <laughs> Respectfully. I will have the cause of conversation. I am not having the grass tampon conversation. We all have our line, sir, and that is mine. Sumner will get to the point where he won't want anybody to call him sir. 
the Minstrel Cup exist in 2004? I think a version of it did. But uh, but on the other side of it, I don't think any man has any business asking a woman to use a specific sort of supply for her menstrual cycle. That's a very personal choice. And if some man asked me, told me to use a certain kind of thing, I'd punch that man in the face. Because what goes in my vagina is my business. <laughs> you know, Rodney is many things, but he's not a sexist. He would never presume to get up in a woman's vagina without permission. The Menstrual Cup came out in 1937. The reasonable version came out around the 80s, and the version that came out in the 80s, which is made of latex, is still sold today. You know, your experience with the menstrual cup that you put on your blog was fucking hilarious and very similar to my own. I was defeated by the menstrual cup. I, and I'll just go on record and say that I am actually quite handy at putting things in my vagina. <laughs> I have put several things in my vagina that were made to go in the vagina. And I'm just saying that having owned a vagina for as many years as I've owned one and having, you know, investigated my vagina as many years as I have, you would think that putting in a menstrual cup would not be rocket science. But actually putting in a menstrual cup requires a PhD. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. It was- Probably, probably well, I, in in theoretical physics. <laughs> I I mean I eventually got it got it got the whole deal in there, but then I I was so uncomfortable with it. It was so painful for me that I was so desperate to get it out as fast as I possibly could that I was not very careful about how I took it out. And I don't ever really want to think about that again. That was a really unpleasant moment. Um, <laughs> you're, supposed to, sorry. You're, sorry. you're supposed to break the seal, the suction on that thing before you pull it out. Let me just tell you, that's a really important tip. Um, <laughs> you're supposed to slide your finger up the side and press it so that it pops the vacuum seal, right? Right, and if you just get unhappy with, or if you're you know frantic and desperate and you're unhappy with how that feels and you just try to yank it out, well, it's a lot more painful than it needed to oh, be. Oh God! Well, I'm gonna do a TMI while we're on the TMI. Um, I actually have um, on the inside of my vagina is thick, so thick that tampons can be uncomfortable. Now, the upside of that is, is I have really fantastic vaginal orgasms. The bad side of that is is that tampons can hurt. Um, and the cup, it wasn't pleasant. No, it's not a pleasant feeling. I don't know why I, don't but, know why I thought it would be. So I called it a silicon boulder. I was not happy. I was like, get that thing out of my vagina. It was, but the Diva Cup, which was the the one that really pioneered getting people into stuffing these silicon boulders up their vag. Um, Mine was came Diva. out in two thousand one. That came out in two thousand one. So, um, they probably but yeah. Taken, I have a Diva Cup. I would cup imagine. I've only tried once. Well, I tried for, for an the, hour. <laughs> yeah. 
But even I think on the exhibition, even for the ladies who preferred tampons, they would take a backup Diva Cup for them um, in the event that they were out there yeah. longer than they expected and they couldn't get them. They would take some kind of reusable, washable supplies with them in the event that they right. that, that they were out there so long that they ran out of tampons. <sighs> Although I have a one-try period panties. So if anybody has tried period panties, please feel free to go over to Minion Headquarters and tell me all about your experience. <laughs> I have. I have them. We will talk about it. I have them. I've tried two different okay. brands, actually. Okay, cool. Um, so, so John would definitely be, you know, invested in getting the ladies supplied. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um Although my niece is using um, reusable pads, and seems to like them. They have they they have a lot of you know TSS is, is tampons. Um, but um, yeah, the reusable pads they're doing more and more and better work with um the reusable washable stuff and um. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But there's a, a hers um wrap around the panty and then they, they have little snaps. Yeah, there's a lady at least the one lady that I run into online, run into her shop. Um she does like a her her default one is like a one snap one, but you can actually a wing her wing is like a one snap wing. And but you can actually pay her a small amount to upgrade it to give you two snaps to make sure it really stays in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she um, she really likes the usable pads, the, the reusables, and reusable pads could be made if they had access to cloth, all, you know, off world. Um, so, <clears throat> but uh, they probably need to pack a sewing machine or two. Definitely. Well, I mean, they would probably it would probably under John's questioning leadership. Not questionable leadership, but questioning leadership. They probably would start having, like, practically daily powwows, of, you know, for an hour to talk about some aspect of, you know, supplies. Because they could spend an hour just debating over what they're going to do about tampons. What are we going to take? How are we going to take? Da, 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 da. And if the way the supply list came together was done fairly questionably and people were just kind of trusting that it was done well, which I don't know. I don't understand why people were all so optimistic. It doesn't make any sense. Soap, fresh water. Water purification. Yeah, Lye should be on their supply list because if they were out of everything else, they can solve all their problems by keeping the animal fats that's from the, any animals they hunt and kill or whatever, any kind of runoff fats, and then um, get some water and some lye, give it time to cure. Well, we have to assume that some of this stuff was in the original expedition. It's just, you know, not obvious what all they took with them, but they clearly weren't prepared for a city that wasn't functional. 
there'd have to be some people on in the expedition who would be like um, survivalists who would understand like multi-purpose things, like some things you don't take a specialized, you know, six specialized items. If you could take one multi-purpose item that can do all those things. Um, Agreed. And they would probably, you know, do their initial thing and then like have somebody who has that kind of mentality do a, a call on it and go, okay, well, you don't need this and you don't need to be taking this and this and this. You just get this and it covers all the bases. He could seek out a survivalist. That's true. Make sure there's one on the expedition. I mean, it's the fact that they didn't have really good snipers on the expedition was just dumb. But they definitely needed somebody to, they could hunt and track because that is a that's a worst case scenario. Still, is if they get out there, the city's not inhabitable, and they're having to go try to find mainland to live on. Oh look, I just found a way to, to put Ian Edgerton in my story. I'm not sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sad at all. He's multifunctional. He can hunt, trap, snipe. And look pretty. Blow shit up. <laughs> Sorry, I found your new best friend. He's currently in the FBI. But I believe, um, given the right incentive, we could put him back in the Army. I think he would be willing. Yeah, I've read City on the Edge of Forever by... How do you say that? S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-I-C. Sedonchik? Maybe. And she actually wrote a really good fic about um, what would um, to actually make a successful expedition to another galaxy. <laughs> like, you're going to another galaxy. How do you even know that any food in that galaxy will be edible to us? Well, the, hey, you don't even know what the ancients ate. What the ancients eat? Just based upon our evidence of the ancients and, you know, um, legend about Atlantis, I think we're screwed. <laughs> At the very least, we I'm know the ancients breathe oxygen. That's, that's what we know. The Asgard eat Play-Doh. So <laughs> we need to pay it. We need to... <sighs> We need to do something. Something is not good. Mm. Sir, there isn't even a single civilian that was in the Boy Scouts. (laughs) (laughs) We need that. No, really. So we're so fucked. 
So, but yeah, <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun just to, just to, and by the way, I, I labeled this, um, squeaky wheel, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay. It's your turn. Sir, my turn. Um, it is your turn. Great Google Moogly. Hmm. <laughs> if we encounter a T Rex, 150 count is not going to be enough. I agree, it's not. Sir, there are no, there isn't a poly lack of surface-to-air missiles. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to draw attention again to the lack of rail guns. I'm still sad about that. <laughs> <laughs> the rail, the lack of rail guns is giving me a sad face, sir. Sounds like a good O'Neill. You've got to do something about my XO. <laughs> It'd be like. <laughs> But he's doing such a good job. You but I can't sleep at night. <laughs> he's giving me nightmares. Got, I didn't used to be anxious, but I am now. <laughs> I'm getting anti-anxiety medication before we even to the gate. <laughs> hey, man, you picked him. <laughs> Can we yeah. have a nuke or two? It is the only way to be sure. Um, okay, it's your turn. I did accidental. You do on purpose. Um, on purpose. There's something to be said. I mean, I'm I'm kind of torn because there's something to be said for the opportunity to kind of do a lot differently but there's also so in that case go back further but there's something to be said for containing it you know and the ripple effect Mm -hmm. by not letting it go back so far Mm -hmm. um hmm Well, I am just... Okay, on the way back to Pegasus. On the way back to Pegasus? Yeah, after enemy at the gate. They're they're going back to Pegasus on the city. They encounter... an alien species they've never encountered before, and the city is being destroyed. And the city draws John down into the chair room and encourages him to sit in it. And she tells him she can send him back in time. But it will take everything she's got left and it will destroy the city. And he agrees. Where does he land and what does he do? 
Yeah, the time, the thing, the time travel mechanism is it's the where he goes. Because there's, there's, like I said, there's, it depends on the kind of story you're telling. Does he go back a little bit? And what exactly is it that he's trying to prevent or fix? Well, if he's going back from that kind of event, then his goal would be to prevent the race from ever getting near Earth. So Atlantis wouldn't have been in that position to get destroyed by those aliens. So if you pick a landing spot when he's young, um, you can redirect his career. Like I did in hmm. Interim. Yeah. I'm not usually someone who's um, so unfocused about plot ideas. That's terrible. I think that he, um, he didn't, in an interim, he didn't marry Nancy. Um, he knew, he always knew that was a mistake. And I think if given the opportunity to do it over again, he wouldn't do that to her. Yeah, I agree. Because John what does dumb things, giving... but he's not an asshole. You know, he didn't, he wouldn't set out to hurt her again. No, I agree. He wouldn't try to hurt her deliberately. But what if, okay, so an AU of my own story, what if John's given the opportunity to go back and his impetus for going back is to save his whole family. And not really an AU of my own story because so I'm thinking about if found is maybe he can go back as far as he wants and he wonders um, an AU where that was before Alex was ever found. If he wonders what how his life would have been different if would things have been easier, better, whatever, if his brother hadn't been kidnapped. And if so he, he was maybe it's like three. It's interesting to think that he might have felt like he had some opportunity if he was aware. I'm trying to think about a three-year-old have be able to deal with an adult's memories. That would actually be more of a note to self. Just sending a note back to himself. Yeah. Because I don't think a three-year-old can handle much more than that. I, always when I see Harry Potter go back in time and he's an infant, I'm thinking to myself, really? <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? But, yeah, I do think it could be kind of a note a, back to him. If he, well, if he strikes a, a deal with a um, more powerful ascended being, um, that they don't give him his memories back until he's old enough to handle them. So he's just being kind of, I don't know, prod. He's kind of being kind of given a worry or something about his little brother. So maybe he keeps sneaking out of the room to go check on him or something and sees sees the person leaving with the baby and loses his shit. 
Yeah. There's actually my in the in, I think in the in the notes for if found I put in that the abduction happened during the day because it would have been a lot more suspicious at night. Somebody walking out of the hospital with a baby at night um, would have mm-hmm. been weird. Well, I think it would have had to have been a woman because I think a it man a walking woman. out of it would have to have been because a man walking out with a baby with no woman would raise eyebrows. I'm yeah, sure it happens, definitely. but it would raise eyebrows, catch attention. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be really interesting. But then it would be like, so that would be kind of like, um, almost like a, it's not like a, literally a double prologue, but almost. It's like he has this mechanism to go back in time. And he interrupts the kidnapping, and then you do a big skip forward. Mm-hmm. Um, he wakes up having had his first race nightmare. <laughs> that would do it. Yeah. Screaming. Alex is the first one that well, bounds into the room and jumps up on his bed and says, hey, what's up? <laughs> Yeah, that would do it. I mean, the thing is, is that I was thinking it'd be interesting a story where he gets all of the, his, you know, more of his brothers on the city with him. But mm-hmm. then I was wondering if John's aware of what's going on, would he really take his siblings out there? I would. He knows what it's going to be like. I don't think he would. So I kind of, that's why I've been sitting here noodling on the back of my head. Was like, well, see, this was just taking John back too far? It depends on the John and the confidence he has in the city. Um, like, and in, in, in what might have been, uh, Matt will eventually be on the city, and Matt's on the city in uh, Ties That Bind, but those versions of John aren't the same as the canon version of John, and they certainly aren't the John that you wrote in If Found. And that makes a big difference because his characterization in If Found is very specific. And I think he would fight tooth and nail to keep Alex and Matt off the city. Yeah. Even if he lost, he'd still try. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, in the, in the, because there's, there's, there's no way that he would have accepted um, all his brothers going out there. But especially with his, if he's aware of what it was he prevented. But that's why I think that idea I had where the earth was cold and um, all of the shepherds ascended because their DNA was really critical to getting um, things working correctly in, this, in the Pegasus galaxy. Um, but that it, there's so many parallels to, because I said that, that was kind of a preface, uh, kind of a preliminary idea to um, Atlantis Codex because I wasn't sure I plotted Atlantis Codex before I really tried much with time travel and at the time that was a trope I wasn't really comfortable with and so my original idea was a time travel idea where they were called and that's a situation of where if the earth being called and that's if that's the reality he's coming out of is everybody's basically dead or you know everybody's food he's not going to hesitate to do whatever it takes to ensure that 
probably his family's closer than far away. Especially right. if the earth is cold while he's not on it. Ellie says, but John would have grown up with Alex and wouldn't have all that protectiveness. I think he would actually have more if a John had gone back in time and he had those memories of not having Alex and also having those ring, those memories of having Alex with him the whole time. It, he would be yeah. more. He'd be worse. He'd be worse. He'd, because he'd he would be, know that pain, to... and he would also know that what he actually lost, because the John that found could only speculate about what he lost all those years that he lost. Um, but the John from the, from the future who changed the past would know exactly what that kidnapping cost him. Yeah, I agree. I think it would have made him more protective. He'd, he'd have practically had his father's level of protectiveness. To the point that he started probably alienating his family. He, he, I think he would be smart enough to back off when he started alienating them. But, um, I mean, I could do he that route. Deep, he yeah, I could do that route where he doesn't go back as far and prevent it, but that he helps, he sort of helps engineer finding Alex sooner in life. But again, we saw that same issue. It doesn't solve my idea of getting all of them on the city, using John as the time travel vehicle, because. I mean, that's even if they find Alex when he's you know fifteen or twenty or even ten, he's not going to be less protective. So that's just, so kind of like I like letting the ripples kind of you know go out in my brain and going okay that doesn't work. So um, you know what would be really curious is if Tony ended up um, as an agent afloat on Atlantis. And they're doing DNA work um, on his gene, you know, just like they did everybody else. And someone in the genetics lab recognizes that John and the NCIS agent guy actually had the same mitochondrial DNA. So she checks it and finds out that they're brothers. And that's how they find Alex. That would be there, especially because that would be he'd find him through him coming into the program, which would be a very different mental. Um, he would accept it. He would accept that Alex is there through different mechanisms um, than hearing about it through his family, basically. Yeah, but that really isn't time travel. <laughs> No, that's more. Um, that's a different way to find Alex. Yeah. So if I'm if John doesn't time, have any control over when he lands, um, if he can't control that, or if he can't go back far enough, um, if he lands in an older teenage body, uh, how much older is John than Alex? He's just three years older. Um, I think three years. Yeah. So. He would have been a senior in college when Tony started college, basically. Yeah. If he had gone the traditional route. Of course, it would be agonizing to make your character wait three years to to to, to solve that problem. Um, so you'd have to find some way to... to... Well, in... in um... In the story, in the story, and it found, um, 
it is um, John says he says to, he says to, to Alex that he had seen Alex play and even thought he looks like a shepherd, and that he was beating himself up in that conversation for not having explored that thought at the time and what it might have meant. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to think of oh, what that Patrick would in... never have entertained putting his boys in, in military school. No, no. He would so never even, like, no, John, we're not even going to talk about that. <laughs> but if he did land in a body in his early teenage years, he could probably talk his dad into a vacation in Hawaii, just like um, um, Ellie suggested. And maybe they could come across Tony in that hotel. Oh, that's an interesting idea. But again, that doesn't solve the issue of... There's a lot of different ways things to do with John getting his family back together. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get me to the idea of his whole family being on the city with him. No. Um, Other than the earth being destroyed. I mean, I could do some awful, awful AU of If Found, where um, in the future, like after where the story ended, that the Earth is called and John's whole family are killed. And um, he accepts time travel as a mechanism. Not to go all the way back even, but just to go back far enough to ensure that they all come to Atlantis. And he would try to interrupt the calling and try to prevent all that from happening, but he just decides it's better that they're all together than that he loses everybody when he's not around. So I don't know. That's all kind of thin. It's kind of thin. So it would either have to be everybody is dead on Atlantis and he's traveling back in time to get Atlantis better prepared, or it's the Earth has been destroyed and he's traveling back. I mean, he needs to have some sort of... um, I think it needs to be one of those two. It has to be, he has to have some sort of serious impetus to send him back to why he would go back and do all this over and try to better prepare. But then his, his case, his, his, his preparations would be, um, to ensure that, um, the, the, the expedition ran better. So I think I would go with, to expand on, we, we kind of have thrown what, bits and pieces of this idea out last night, so I'll kind of pick up some of those bits and mm-hmm. pieces, is what if, his, what if we did well, the idea that the city got destroyed um, because Rodney was never there, and that this, okay. other, this other ascended being, higher level ascended being, came in and said, you've mm-hmm. got to get McKay, you've got to keep him in the program, and went with that plot idea. And so his travel back mm-hmm. in time is more about... Because um, if I were to do the, the idea of getting him and his whole family on the city, it would be uh, the Earth is destroyed, kind of. The Earth is destroyed, cold, and they would all time travel to accomplish it. Because it puts too much burden on John's shoulders to try to be maneuvering his family um, into position and making that decision for them, no matter what some ancient being is. I just feel like that's too much burden on him. Uh, it's one thing to try to make an expedition better prepared. It's another thing to spend your whole life trying to manipulate your family into doing something. Right. I agree. So if I were to go that I mean, route, I'm not above it, they- and I would do it to <laughs> save them. But 
Uh, yes. It is a lot of burden to put on a character. Yeah, so I think I would do if I were to if I were to send the whole family back, send it, do a time travel where the whole family goes to um, Atlantis. It would have to be a case of where they all or, or most of them time traveled to because it's I just you could do it, but I wouldn't want to put that much burden on John. Um, There's a scene so far, in Small he, Magic where um, Harry has asked Thorin to uh, to wear this device to mute the curse. And Thorne agrees, and Harry's like, "That's great," because my other plan was just to stun you all and stick you in my moleskin pouch. <laughs> <laughs> I will just be taking this, my family as my personal item. They're in the trunk. Don't worry about them. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I borrowed something from my cousin Harry. It'll work out great. <laughs> Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, my brain just blue screened. Okay, I'm doing a reboot. What was I doing? Um, the city was destroyed. Rodney didn't go. Higher being has sent John back. Okay, I'm having Sorry, an I derailed idea. you. No, no, it's fine. I'm I'm pretty derailed, but I'm having an idea. I'm just trying to see if I can. Bring my brain, my thoughts together. The very first plot drift I did was a John Ascends plot drift. Mm-hmm. And in that plot drift, I, my plot was basically that John is, is sort of an ascended being that was basically kicked back into his babyhood or whatever because he was a rule breaker. And he wanted to do some stuff to help the people in Pegasus, and he was finally kicked out for it. At least I think that's where that plot went. And he, um, he, um, basically the deal he makes with the Ascended is they kind of roll their eyes at him and say, all right, if you can get to Pegasus on your own, ha, 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 you can do whatever the fuck you want. So he gets to Pegasus, and of course they don't give him his memories or anything back because they don't want him to know that he. But he then dies in that, or rather ascends again what, during the Hail Mary at the end of season one. And when he mm-hmm. ascends again, he gets all of his memories back, and he's like, "You motherfuckers," you know, kind of thing. Well, so to do a spin on that, basically the same setup. But what if when he ascends again, it takes him to a higher level of ascension, and he's pissed off. So he sends himself back in time to do whatever the fuck he wants to do. <laughs> Give a fuck where And you motherfuckers can't interfere it. because I'm not ascended. <laughs> so y'all need to mind your business. Himself, he sends himself back in time with his memories. And if he died, he could have, maybe this time, maybe it's like his third ascension or something. So he's more powerful than he was before. And um, I'm trying to now, now see that's just like a buffet of what would he do because he's he goes back if he goes back with his give a fuck broken and he's mad at the ancients what would he do anything he wanted that's exactly it he could do anything he wanted um maybe a kind of a salt and burn kind of thing. 
Well, because in the original plot drift, um, what I had him do at the time was not exactly blink the because I didn't, I didn't want to get into genocide. Is he removed what it was to be raised from the race and to make them sort of palatable um, as if he basically made them all babies. And then he spent some time running around getting all of these race babies. Babies not, adopted. Not I remember. They're basically, yeah, they're basically ancients. What they, they are is they're all baby ancients. And he spends a bunch of time running around repopulating the Pegasus galaxy with baby ancients that need to be raised by the peoples of Pegasus. From gifts on there. high. Look, here's you an ancient baby. A baby from the ancestors. Look how glowing and pretty I am. Take this baby and treat it as your own. <laughs> yeah. and he takes some of them to Milky, to Milky Way Galaxy, some of them to Pegasus, but he basically spends a bunch of time getting babies placed. Um, and that was that was that story's idea. So I'm trying to think about thinking back too far, um, and he's got he, it's just. Actually, the further back he's in, the harder it is because there's so much. You would just have him sent back and then do a big time skip because writing through the shenanigans that he would do. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't would write it either. That's where you'd have a prologue and then he'd send himself back in time. It's sort of like he's got that decision point and he says, oh, fuck this. I'm not going to try to salvage the situation. Look at all the people who died. I'm going to go back and redo this. I and do love salt and burn fix too, Edie. Yeah. Well, it could be how far back he goes um, could be a reflection of what his priorities are. Because I would think that with getting his ancient memories back would come some level of detachment from his his past, including his human family potentially. Because they weren't he was sort of he would have had to have been sort of a foundling actually, really, right? I don't know how that would have actually worked. The horrific mm. thing to do is to actually have the original shepherd baby die in the womb and John take its place. Which could be very well what they did. Or that it died... It could be that when they, it could have been a case of like SIDS, you know, and that they yeah. were looking for the moment they kicked John out is what baby died that fit the general criteria, what baby died at that moment that they could replace with John. Right, you know, not right, outright killing the baby, but taking John, letting John take the place of a baby that was destined to die, that was, that was going to die. Yeah. And so in that case, if John knows that he, he might, cause he would know exactly what had happened once he got his memories back, he could decide he's not going to go all the way back because he's going to just, hmm. Okay, don't get wrapped up in the time travel paradox. Um, <laughs> Ignore the paradox. Ignore the this paradox. Is like, this, is like, this is like paradox squared. Um, but he could just he could just send himself back to his the start of his military career and do that differently, or he could just throw mm-hmm. himself back to that moment that he first sat in the chair. He could 
if he wanted to make himself more obviously powerful, he could do something where the moment he first sits in that chair, that it supposedly to everybody else would look like that it activated some kind of gene, super gene that he has, so that he's more ancient than he was on the expedition. Does that make sense? So that he could use the gifts that he's been hiding. Right. Overtly. Yeah, I would. Like he could start glowing in the chair. And it could all be showmanship. Like they conclude mm-hmm. that what the chair did to John was that it activated. It turned, it made, because he's got a super gene and they made his super gene, you know, it turned it on or something, made him more ancient when he sat in the chair. And so as a result, he really has to go to Atlantis because, I don't know, maybe he's glowing he's or an something. He's <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, they can make assumptions that just because his gene is so powerful that, um, yeah, that, that, that the chair did that. And he'd be like, I don't know. Did I do that? <laughs> I'm not really on board with this supply list. Well, we'll fix it. <laughs> I don't like Kavanaugh. Then he is staying here. <laughs> I don't have a good – or he could just he could just have bad feelings about everything. Have a good feeling about this. <laughs> why am I? Why are we going to these tracks? That could be what he does. He could just be kind of going. I don't know. I, I just when I look at this, I don't have a good feeling about it. And they just start making changes based on his bad feelings. And like he meets Rodney, goes, "No, I have a really good feeling about Rodney." <laughs> They're all like, "Yeah, what? I like him." What's the matter with you? He's smart. I think Atlantis will like him. <laughs> Atlantis is not going to like this one. I don't think Kavanaugh should go. I don't think Atlantis is going to like him. (laughs) I don't like him. He makes my gene twitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree that that Elizabeth would want... um, would would be all up into trying to have a little ATA baby with him, but um, he'd be more prepared to deal with her too. Oh yeah, especially if he's a full ancient. You know, depending upon what his abilities are, he might see and right ancients through her even more actually than he did. Are actually kind of don't give a fuck, and when he can just like flick her off, like in more than one way, to the point where she can't even stand to look at him. To the point where she doesn't even go on the expedition. Yeah. I like the idea of John. I mean, that's something I haven't explored the idea of. Because, well, in the Atlantis Codex, is eventually the four brothers do become full ancients. That's part of that's the direction the story is going, is the city actually... Well, they, they're born full ancients, I should clarify. They're born full ancients, but their DNA is masked, so their parents have to list that masking on their DNA. But but I like the idea of a John who time travels, and he's not ascended, but he's a full ancient. Um, so when he descends, or whatever you want to call that, it's a very strange term to use, descend. Um, deascend? Would it be deascend? Deascend. 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 When he deascends, he um, he puts things into motion 
that he um, can be a full ancient when he sits in the chair. And so he's a full ancient when he goes out there. So he is one of the ancestors, basically. So it's his city. And if he goes out there as a full ancient, what if it's literally his city? I think that in that particular case, that he would want to go back far enough um, to change his his military career. So he goes out there instead of Sumner. Yeah, I agree. So he'd have to go back further. Um, he'd have to go back further. Probably change his branch. Probably change he his branch. He might not have to change his branch. I mean, I, I like to write Marine John. It's just my preference. <coughs> <coughs> But it really depends. Well, if he goes back further, I'm going to say, we come to the situation of him going back, does he save Charlie? Kind of following up with that idea from last night. He could use that as a a vehicle to get him into the SGC sooner. Um, Mm -hmm. He makes sure he encounters O'Neill earlier in his career. Um. But if, he, if I keep him Air Force, he would just have a lot harder edge than most Air Force officers, I think. It's true, as the Marine dress uniform. I don't actually it's think really any hot. of the dress uniforms, the Marine dress uniform is particularly good, but none of the dress uniforms are, are awful. Yeah, the dress blues for the for the Air Force are aren't bad, but the Marines definitely nice. won the lottery. The Marines, the Marines won the yeah. lottery with the with the dress uniform. I think the dress white for the Navy is is wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good too. <clears throat> Something about a really, really, really tanned man in a white, in the dress whites. Yeah, I'm the, just saying. The, the other navy dress uniform, the, the blue navy, navy dress uniform, is also very attractive. Very. I think the army is the one that drew the short straw on the dress uniforms, but it's still not bad. Yeah, I don't like the um, the uh, the service uniform the Marines wear, the green one. It isn't my favorite. Yeah. But it's not bad. It's not bad. I don't think anything in the Marines wear is bad. It's just um, not not a favorite. Oh yeah, see, see right there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong. With I that. told you he made dress wife look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I kind of, I kind of like the idea of sending John back ancient. So I'd have to. That would be the. Because the the direction it would go would would be more him being in charge, and him getting out there and um, a making sure the the expedition was more successful. But he would know because of the knowledge. He would make sure he had his memories. He would know where to go mm-hmm. to get ZPMs and stuff. So he would just ensure that their alpha site was set up where the ZPMs were. They would get the city functional so that if the race came, and he would do what he had always wanted to do 
to begin with, which was to do better by the people in Pegasus. Because that's what yeah. he had always wanted, and that's why he, that was why in the original plot that he got thrown out for was that he was not happy with the fact that they were so focused on Ascension that they just bailed on the Pegasus galaxy and the war that they basically started with the creatures that they had created. Exactly. So. Oh, Lady Hilder now is putting officer porn up. Mm. Yeah. I'm not mad. No. Not mad at all. Yeah, but I like the idea of doing kind of a riff on that first spot drift because it mm-hmm. would. Um, and you haven't used be, it yet, so yeah. I haven't. I I still like the idea of that. I of that. Um, I don't think. It, I think that when I plotted it, I envisioned it being a longer story than it would be. It didn't need to be, just because. Um, it's pretty straightforward. You know, it really is kind of a short story, even though in my head I was plotting it like a novel. I want to try to work on that story. There just, there wasn't, unless you really focus on the resettling of all those babies, um, which is kind of would get tedious. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward yeah. plot, which is that, you know, he has the moment. The first thing he does when he ascends, they get, after he gets pissed off, is come back and tell Rodney, hey, I'm, I'm around, I'm coming back, I just need to be patient, I have to do some shit. And he would explain the situation to Rodney, and then he would go deal with the race. And in, in the movie, in the, in the movie, in the story I wrote where Harry is shifting through dimensions, um, I numbered the dimensions and I did big skips ahead. So it's like turn 20, turn 36, you know, so he's not, so you're not seeing all of the, what happens. And then later on you find out various things that happened to him during his shifting from one universe to another through dialogue and through his own thought process. Um, So if you were going to do that with, with the babies, you could like place the first one and then place the 200th one. And then place, and then finally he's got one baby left, and it's the one he brings to Rodney. Oh yeah, I really like that. That's a lot. <clears throat> and Rodney's like, "You're not calling him Todd." He's like, "But he is Todd. You can't call him Todd." But he's Todd. No, <laughs> I actually brought Todd. I mean, that's the one I picked. I brought Todd. Todd. <laughs> Todd's my favorite. This is Todd. And, and Roddy's like, I don't that care. His middle name have been it's... Todd, but he is no longer Todd. Todd was erased. This. What would we name him? Is John Jr. <laughs> this is John Jr. <laughs> This is John Sebastian. But no. But that is a little thing I do with um, John's name. If Sebastian exists, John Sebastian Shepard. If Sebastian doesn't exist in that universe, um, John's name is John Patrick. It's a little quirk I have. No, he would not make him Alfred. 
we could do is we could, Alfred. We could do. If I ever write that story about what what John and John and, and John and um, the baby story, not the time travel story, but the baby story, um, where John, um, we can have we can have a big poll in, in MHQ for what John and Rodney's n- n- not a race baby <laughs> name should be. <laughs> the not Todd name contest. The not Todd. The Chad. <laughs> it just got right into my head. It is the Chad. Name is Chad. Jarvis. <laughs> We're not naming him after an Iron Man character. <laughs> Peter. After yeah, I like that Peter, but um, I'm on board with the uniform. That's I just want to say, Bilbo's a little a little transparent because you gotta you gotta try to sneak things past, um, Rodney, right? Like give him name suggestions yeah. where that are the, like that are thematic. And Rodney's like, no, no, no theme names. And then you slip one in. Billow's a little bit too. Yeah, that's a two on, a little bit too on point. John's like, but uh, his name is Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible predictor. Stop it. <laughs> I thought you said you, what if John suggests, I go, look at name in Sauron. I thought you said you fixed him. <laughs> <laughs> So much you can do. <laughs> you never know how it's Agamemnon. Go. Call him Agamemnon. I'm um, 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 Agamemnon. Yeah. Theseus. Wesley. Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's just that's, that's that's hilarious. That's hilarious. But I could have another sliding door story. Um, where at that decision point, one way John goes, he stays in the present and uses the power he has to just basically undo the race. And the other is he travels back in time to do things over. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. So I think, I think even, even, even an ascended being, if they're pissed off, isn't necessarily always going to make... Um, Well, and they could have some pissy little 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 pissing contest with him. Where he's like, "Wait a minute, our agreement was that when I, if I got the Pegasus on my own, I could do what I want, and here I am. We didn't think you would actually, you know, get here. I don't and besides, care. You forgot, <laughs> and if you weren't going to remember, we weren't going to remind you. It's like you took my memories, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> now you need to get the fuck off my city." I think this qualifies as interference. Atlantis is mine now. Fuck you all very much. Tiberius. Tiberius. Because no, even James, and then like Slater, Rodney go, God damn it, he named our kid after Jim Kirk. <laughs> or he could start using bones lines on him. Like he agrees to Jim. He agrees to James. And then he starts coming in and go, (laughs) 
you know, I'm a, I'm a dad, not your miracle worker, Jim. <laughs> lose, lose his shit. We're down to 52 seconds. That'd be hilarious. That would be so funny. Oh my God. Anyways. <clears throat> Say goodnight, Jilly. <laughs> goodnight, everyone.